So here we are um, at uh, part 12. Now, last week, actually, it wasn't last week. We took some much needed time off. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, so we did take some time off um, and we're not here last week. But two weeks ago, we spent time talking about um, how do those um, prophecy teachers who really deal with um, what has come in, in certain theological, specifically prophetic theological um, circles to be called the tribulation period. Why do people account for that period in seven years and where did that come from? And so we won't spend a lot of time in that today. Um, so if you have an answer on that, then if you're following the podcast or you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you can go back and find last week's session and it'll give you all the information that you need. Um, but just um, in, in terms of a short review, we spent some time going through the book of Daniel, uh, where the answer came from. We said that 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 uh, one of the things that is a distinguishing factor or point on how we teach these events is that many people have a replacement theology that says that the church has replaced Israel, but the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 and chapter 11 was very clear that that was not the case. He was clear that God was dealing with us in terms of grace, but that there was a time when he was, that God has prophesied, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, that he's going to come back and deal with national Israel. And a lot of people who's talking about the end just don't even touch that. Don't, they don't even address it. And I'm saying, man, that's a critical part of um, the plan of God that hasn't unfolded in the day in which we lived in. And if, if you could um, argue, as some people have, that people that believe similar things to me are saying that Judaism will be reinstituted in the New Testament, I've never said that because the scriptures don't say that. The scripture tells us in Zacharias that Israel will look on him in whom they have pierced, pierced, talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and weep over him as if he was their only their own son, because he is a son of their people. And um, and so and and the scriptures in Romans chapters nine and eleven don't don't ever say anything like that, that that the old thing would be reinstituted. I understand that there's scriptures in Ezekiel and things that talk about the temple and it being rebuilt and so on. All I'm saying is, is that you, if you're going to stand in faith for Romans chapter 10, then you ought to be in faith for Romans chapters 9 and 11. And so, Daniel, we walked you through how there was a seven-week period, excuse me, a, a seven-year a seven period that there was some key things that happened at the three-and-a-half um, year point, the halfway mark, and that, that that window of time comes up over and again, both in the book of Daniel and um, in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right? So those are the things that we talked through. And before that, we had dealt with Revelation chapter 7, and now we're going to start in Revelation chapter 9. I'm going to try to get through two chapters tonight 
Um, these two kind of function as a, as a single unit, so I'm going to try to get all the way through here tonight. All right, so let's look at uh, Revelation chapter 8, and it's only 13 verses, so we can move pretty quick on it. And it says, when he, talking about Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour, about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded and there and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the star is wormwood a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And verse 13 says, And I looked. And I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. All right. So let's just look at uh, this one. And this goes pretty, pretty quickly. Um, let's look at um, eight keys to Revelation chapter eight. Number one. After the sealing of the 144,000 Israeli evangelists, that's what chapter 7 talk, talked about, and the catching away of the tribulation saints, Jesus opens the seven seals, right? Jesus was going through the process of opening the seals. Number two, after a period of silence, seven angels are given trumpets to announce upcoming judgments upon the earth. These trumpets are not just music. They're not just worship. They are announcing something that's coming. All right. Number three, similar to the 24 elders and the four living creatures in Revelation 5 and 8, another angel is giving a censer full of prayers of the saints and believers, which he offers to God. All right. So we see um, just as a point. Just as a point of uh, theological perspective, 
a point of theological perspective that, um, you know, Pastor David wears a suit. I don't wear priestly garments. I don't wear like an Old Testament priestly garment or even like, you know, um, robes like a pope or or some of the official garb that people wear to distinguish their rank in ministry. I don't think that there's something wrong with it. It's just not the thing that I do every day. And I don't even think I'm required to, though I don't throw rocks at those that do. Got it? All right. If the Lord told you to wear a robe every Sunday with a collar and have a, a staff and a miter and a big cross that you stick in your pocket, you do you, baby. I'm, I'm not player hating. Just do what the Lord told you to do. Just make sure that when you wear all of that stuff, you carry in the anointment with you. Okay. Um, now, there, while I don't wear that, I understand the spiritual symbolism that was established when God, through Moses, had Aaron set up a tabernacle with priestly garments and um, where he had the robe and he had the anointing and he had the breastplate that represented the tribes. And then they would offer incense and slave burn offerings and, some, and, 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 and many of those things. Uh, were established in the Old Testament. Now, a number of those things that were established in the Old Testament now go away in Christ. We don't offer blood of bulls and goats, okay? Um, because Christ is our sacrificial lamb once and for all. However, we do have a sacrifice you present your body as a living sacrifice, not a dead one, not one that we have to slay, but one that we crucify daily so that we can fulfill what Christ has for us to do. Somebody say amen. And then we give gifts financially that are sacrifices that are made acceptable to, to Jesus Christ. And the scripture says through Paul that the smell of them, the odor, the the, the perfume of the offering using an Old Testament reference is a sweet-smelling savor to God. He said that in Philippians chapter 4 to non-Jewish people who weren't talking about a temple sacrifice, but he was using the analogy of what came out of the temple sacrifice. Somebody say amen if you understand that. All right. Now, while we may not in the natural wear... Um, these garments or we have services. And I know there's, there's you know, um, churches that where priests still wave incense. And if the Lord told you to do that, do it. And then churches that don't do that, that are modern, have smoke machines. Okay, okay, you don't wave incense, but you still got a machine where you turn the lights down that generates smoke. I'm not, I'm not hating. Do what the Lord tell you to do. Okay. Um, but in the new covenant, while, while on, on the other side of that, other people say, well, all of that stuff's done away with. That's just a bunch of hokey stuff. Listen, the earthly tabernacle is done away with. But when we look at heaven, we are clear to see that that we are a priesthood. Priesthood has to offer gifts and sacrifices to God. That's what a priest does. 
and that our prayer is part of the sacrifice. And this scripture says that in heaven, there clearly is tabernacle functions. There clearly is sacrifices. There clearly is incense going up before God. He clearly is smelling it. Our worship clearly is going up. He's liking it. He's moving on it. And then things are happening in heaven. And then stuff is happening on earth. So however you worship, make sure you worship. However you pray and intercede, make sure you pray and intercede, cause, doing things that causes incense to go up before God in heaven and things from heaven to come back and impact the earth. Amen? Number four, this time, different than um, in Revelation chapter five, the prayer is full and then is released with actions and responses of judgment to the earth. So they said that the angel uh, filled the censer. He threw it back. He filled it with fire from the altar, threw it back to earth. And then out of that, what he threw back to earth came noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. All right. Number five, four of the seven angels sound their trumpets, releasing a series of judgments upon the earth. Watch this. This is the back to the future piece. Similar to the plagues Moses released upon Egypt during the Exodus, but with a wider impact and greater intensity. Yeah, we we've seen some of these these kind of plagues before. All right. Um, and um, and it happened at the sound of the trumpet. Well, Pastor, I don't know if, if there was a real trumpet, and I don't know if it sounded, and I don't know if it signaled something. Hold it. Hold it. You are banking your eternity on the fact that when Jesus comes back, he'll descend with the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise, and we that are alive and remain will be caught up to be with him in the air. If, if you don't believe these trumpets, why shouldn't you believe that trumpet? OK, so I, this is why uh, pastor teaches this stuff. And I'm like, listen, this is the same terminology that was used that a trumpet was sounded and then things would happen. Hold it. That didn't even start in the New Testament. They declared the Jubilee year based on a trumpet sounding. The Old Testament feast had trumpets. There was a feast of trumpets. All right. So there is these these signs, these ways of doing things that happened in the Old Testament that then carried forward to the New Testament. Amen? All right. Um, all right, number six. Number six says the judgments include hell with fire and blood, a meteor or star falling upon the oceans, turning them to blood, one falling upon rivers, lakes, and springs, making them bitter, and darkness upon the sun, moon, and stars. Okay. Well, Pastor, I'm not sure if these judgments, I'm not sure if these judgments are real. Well, do you believe that the judgments that fell upon Egypt, that those were real? You know, um, I heard this, I didn't hear this directly, but I heard this from another preacher that, uh, 
I, I believe it was, you know, the late Oral Roberts, if my memory serves me correctly. If it's not, I'm not trying to misquote um, uh, Oral, who I consider a great man of God. But he talked about going to a, a seminary when he was coming in. He, and in the seminary, they were talking about how God parted the Red Sea when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And that at that moment, at that parting of the Red Sea, that uh, the, the, the seminarian said, well, we don't know if this is true, if it happened like this, because, you know, that's a figurative language. And um, historically, Oral said he just lifted his head, finger, and said, can I be excused, and walked out of the seminary <laughs> and never turned back because he's like, I'm not going to have somebody teaching me that don't believe God or God's word. Okay? And, um, you know, I, I understand that there are sometimes that there are figurative things that are not literal. Not everything in Scripture is literal, okay? But, you know, I, I have a problem if I believe, like, our key revelation is that there are certain things that show God's patterns that we can look back and see the future. And so I have a difficult time believing that the plagues, that when Moses called down hell, it was physical, but when these angels call it down, it's just figurative. Amen? So... What judgments happened in Israel that were similar to ones described here, right? In Israel, they had a plague of darkness. They had a plague of hailstones mixed with fire. The Nile River turned into blood. Boils came upon man. Um, there was a killing of the firstborn who were not covered by the blood of the Passover lamb, and there were locusts that destroyed vegetation, right? So those plagues happened similar to what is being described to us here in Revelation chapter 8. All right, number seven. Each of the judgments wasn't in total, but all affected a third of the resources hit. So we keep saying, we keep hearing the fact, it said that when this thing sounded, a third of the ships were destroyed, a third of the creatures, a third of the trees were burned up, a third of the water, a third of the stars and a third of the moon and the sun didn't light up the sky. Um, a third of men died because of waters that were made bitter, right? So it's clear in all of these things that are happening, not everybody's affected, but enough people are affected that it's a global event. Okay? Um, if we did something and all of a sudden one third of the planet starts to go through challenge, the other two thirds going to know it. Amen. All right. That was number seven. And finally, number eight, an angel is sent forth declaring to the people of the earth that the worst is yet to come. <laughs> Lord, 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 Lord. Okay. Now let's look at Revelation chapter 9. We got through, we got through chapter 8 really good. You're a good class. Praise the Lord. Amen. I didn't even have to use all my time to do it. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So we've seen the four, the four angels sound in Revelation chapter 8. Now we're going to start with, um, with uh, angel number 5 here in Revelation chapter 9. Let's look at verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded. 
And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So since it's a him and it's a star and he's given a key, this star is referring to an angel, an angelic being. See, see how I did that? All right. Verse two, and he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing. So they're not a locust like other locusts because that's what locusts primarily eat or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Oh, Lord. Verse five, and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Verse six, in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Oh, man, you're not going to be able to commit suicide when you want to. Verse seven, the shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. Just think if you look at this thing and it looks back at you like a person and it's coming to get you. That means it got expression. It's got emotion. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. Oh, man, you trying to hit it, hit, hit you back. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. That means you're not going to swat it away and it'd be gone. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. Oh, Lord, man, I would be watching the calendar when they arrived just so I know when they was leaving. All right. Verse 11. And they had as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon, and I'll explain that to you. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. That's ta- that's temple, tabernacle speak, isn't it? An altar with four horns. Ever heard the term holding on to the horns of the altar in prayer? All right. Um, that was verse 13. Verse 14 says, saying to the sixth angel who, who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to to kill a third of mankind. There's another third. 
Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouth, mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of the mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. All right. Whew. This is tough stuff, isn't it? Interestingly enough, before we get into the list, and I got a good list here, um, though I, I think that as I'm looking at it, here, I might have missed a point, um, and I'll, I'll add in some point here um, to, to my commentary that might not be on the list. Interestingly enough, if we think about this in terms of back to the future, that there was something that happened before that sets a pattern, it's, interestingly, it's interesting to me, as I think about it, that when the plagues were going down on Egypt, Pharaoh harden his heart. So bad stuff happening as a judgment doesn't bring everybody to repentance, does it? That was true in the Old Testament, and according to the scriptures, that's also true here, because the bad stuff happening on the planet isn't getting people like, <laughs> you know, my, my, uh, my mom uh, said a statement that's sometimes common in the African-American community, a hard head makes a soft behind. And so the, the thought is that uh, if you get enough punishment, you, you might be able to learn your lesson. Clearly, both in Old Testament and in the New, that's not necessarily the case. And the scripture actually says it this way. It's the goodness of God that causes men to repent. But some people don't go for the goodness. Clearly, some of those people who won't go for the goodness don't go for the badness neither. Okay. Eight keys to Revelation chapter nine. We're making good time um, here today. Number one, the sounding of the fifth trumpet releases a plague of enhanced locusts with stings that torment but don't kill humanity for five months. Now, clearly, these locusts are given that name not because of their appearance, which is normally grasshopper-like, or of their diet, which is usually vegetation or green leafy things, but they're given this name of locusts because of their swarming behavior. That means 
Nothing is left when they're done. And when they hit an area, everyone in that area is affected. Lord, you talking about like, you know, it's interesting to me that there's always these apocalyptic movies and shows. Night of the Living Dead or there's always these shows where there is some kind of plague of something resources are hit and then there's always invariably some kind of creature that's attacking the rest of humanity hollywood seems to be obsessed with that kind of thought this scripture says that that's a that's a true reality that's coming and um and uh, i i plan on being watching this from the movie seats in jesus name all right. The scripture says everyone will be a everyone affected will wish to die, but won't be able to. What would happen if people start trying to slit their throats and their throats are slit, but they still won't die? They shoot themselves and create pain, but they can't get the relief of death that they're seeking. Wow. Um, number two. The 144,000 evangelists who have the seal of God on them are exempted from this plague. Remember, chapter 7 started with them having a seal. Well, um, Pastor David, I don't know if I, be I believe that there is a seal on them. Did, do you believe that when Moses put the Passover seal on the houses of the children of Israel, when plagues were in Egypt, that they were delivered? Do you believe when there was darkness in Egypt, they had light in Goshen? Do you believe when the animals were affected or when boils were put on the Egyptians that the children of Israel were fine? Do you believe that or not? Do you believe the word of God? Okay, let's go New Testament. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit seals you in Jesus Christ until the day of his return? If, if, you, don't believe, if you don't believe this seal then why do you believe those other seals worked? All right, let's look at Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to read verses 24 through 27. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags or the rocks. Verse 27, which is the third one, but it's the one we're focused on in our study. The locusts have no king, yet they advance in ranks. Locusts is the ultimate ever <laughs> what do they call it they call it like you know sometimes they'll have a mob something and then people gather together what's that like they'll what do, what do you call that um like kids will go into the store and they'll all start dancing it's a mob something i'm i'm trying to think of the term it's a term huh a, a flash mob Locusts are the ultimate flash mob. 
It says nobody's in charge, yet they're able to move in unity and make massive hap action happen, even though they're really small. All right. Now let's look at number three. While those locusts don't have a king, this, these locusts that God says these enhanced locusts do. Let's look at number three. One of the locusts' um, key ability is to master united action, a flash mob, without a boss or leader. But scripture says that these have a leader and the name of that leader means destruction. Abaddon or Apollyon is the, 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 the Hebrew word Abaddon means to destroy um, or destruction. And Apollyon means the same thing. Whenever the Bible personifies death, death where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? The, 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 the word of God personifies hell. Hell has widened her mouth to consume falling humanity. In other words, um, hell can adjust its diet to swallow as many people that want to go there. Yeah, you want to go. Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many people fall therein. And guess what? Hell will adjust its, will, <laughs> hell will let out its girdle to fit you in if you want to go. It, it'll digest you. It'll consume you if you want it. All right? The interesting thing is that this Abaddon in the Old Testament, every time it's mentioned, it's either mentioned in concert with hell or with death. You might see, just do a, a Hebrew word search on it, and what you'll see is it's never destruction by itself. It's always hell and destruction, or death and destruction. It's mentioned a couple times in the book of Job, and it's mentioned in Proverbs chapter 15, verse, verses 11. Let's look at Proverbs 15 and 11. Hell and destruction, that's the word of uh, Abaddon, are before the Lord, so how much more the hearts of the sons of men? Okay, so Hell and destruction go together. Death and destruction go together. All right? Um, but the personification says this spirit, this entity spirit, personifies destruction. And while most locusts have a, have a swarm mentality, in other words, locusts, the implication of what we see in this chapter of Revelation is, is that while most locusts swarm by instinct, these will swarm by intent and instruction. 
That means like a locust can swarm an area and they'll just eat until there's nothing left. But this one says that there will be a spirit leading them that say, no, you miss somebody. Make sure you hit him. You miss somebody. Make sure you hit her. They're coming for you. Do you hear the intention there? That's a different thing. All right. Number four. When the sixth angel sounds, four fallen angels who have been bound are released to prepare the army of Armageddon, which we'll see in Revelation chapter 16. So just understand that that 200 million person army is the army of Armageddon, if you hear these terms. Pastor, why are you telling me that? Because sometimes you'll hear the term Armageddon. Sometimes you'll hear the term apocalypse. So I always want to, when, when you um, hear those terms people use in conversation when they talk about these, I always want to make sure that you understand the context of where those terms come from. All right? Now, notice that... Uh, there was an angel that is given us a, a voice and told to unleash the four angels that have been bound in the Euphrates. Now, um, the angels that are on God's team don't get bound. So whenever I see a binding of an angel, I can know that those are forces that somewhere align with Satan and, and they are being given a, a space of liberty to do things that they couldn't, that they would want to do otherwise, but could not do because of the binding. Got it? Okay. Now let's see some scriptures just so that you don't think I made that up in my own, in my own opinion. Let's look at a scripture in Jude verse six. It's only one chapter in the book of Jude, verse 6. And I'm going to, it's, it's actually making a statement here, but uh, this statement is in the middle of a context, but I'm just going to read this one verse. And it says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, meaning serving God in heaven around the throne, but left their abode when they followed Satan, Lucifer, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Oh, pastor, pastor, pastor. I thought, I thought, I thought angels were serving Satan and were doing all of the things. Those were his, his forces. Yes, clearly there are some, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual, spiritual wickedness in heavenly or high places. That is clearly the case, but, but clearly the scripture um, articulates that uh, all will get incarcerated later. Some got incarcerated right away. All right? Let's look at this principle in another scripture as well. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. For all of my people that are following me, on my, um, my Destined uh, for Deliverance series, 
we're going to talk about this one Sunday. As I was studying it today, I thought this was a good, a good point to really tie these two series together. All right, so let's look at this, this passage of Scripture. And it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot or just lot, um, King James says, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Verse nine is where we get the deliverance statement. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Woo! God knows how, me, how to deliver me and whoop you if he want to. Or he can do it the other way around. He can deliver you and give me the whooping that I deserve. In other words, <clears throat> I don't know. Some, have you ever had, uh, I don't know if you came from a large family, but sometimes like it was like one person did it, but all of us got lined up and got whoopings at the same time. Y'all, anybody, y'all know like one of them, I'm a whoop all y'all. Everybody in the house that get, did something, you, you, mama, it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get all of you. You did something. Nah, see, God, everybody gonna get what they deserve. Okay, everybody getting what, and so he is, God is able to go into a zone, pull out the people that need to be delivered, and then just then issue judgments to the other people that don't. He know how to seal, he knows how to deliver you, and then get the other people. He delivered Lot and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He delivered Noah and destroyed that world. This scripture also says um, that there are certain angels who kept their place. They still in heaven. They fine. But the ones who sin, the scripture gives us the sense that certain of, of evil cohorts were immediately incarcerated by God for their rebellion. Um, now, just as a point of pastoral teaching, the scripture tells us that God gives believers the ability to cast out devils and to do spiritual warfare against spiritual forces that are coming against us because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against spiritual forces that are opposing to God. So as we, we bind and lose 
We use the power of the name of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus. You know, we are doing what the scripture calls spiritual warfare. Some believers in their zeal for spiritual warfare say, I bind you, Satan, and I cast you into a pit. Hold up, hold up. That's above your pay grade. You ain't got no pit to be casting Satan into. Just hold up. You can cast him off a person. Even Jesus cast him off people. The enemy came at Jesus. He resisted him. Get thee behind me, Satan. It is written. He used word to do spiritual warfare. Satan left him, the Bible says, for a season. So when I'm doing spiritual warfare, even casting the devil off a person, my ultimate objective is to give that, get that person strong enough that while I get him off the person, that they can maintain their deliverance. I have no authority to cast Satan into some pit. Does that make sense? I mean, I just want you to understand the boundaries of your spiritual authority. Because people say stuff because they see stuff, right? The angels can't. Remember the devil that was in um, the man, um, the madman of Gadara, and um, he says, what's your name? My name is Legion because we are many. So the, he had many spirits on the inside of him. And they said, have you come to torment us before the time? What time? The time that those spirits would get incarcerated. They're like, it ain't time for you, Jesus. We know that there is a time, but it's not time yet. And what did they ask Jesus? Lord, we know it's the other white meat. Let us go in there and, and live in and possess those pigs over there. And Jesus allowed them to do it. And then the pigs committed suicide, jumping over the cliff. Anybody know I'm telling the truth that this is scripture? I'm just giving you the story. Notice, if Jesus didn't cast them into some pit, then why can, do you think you can in the name of Jesus? Okay, all right, I'm just, I'm just saying. Listen, the scripture says that people get themselves, Jude talks about the fact that people get themselves in trouble because they speak beyond their level of authority. And you have authority to get the devil off you, to get his hell off your house. You can plead the blood. You can use the name of Jesus. You can loose angels and bind devils. You can do all of that. But when you start saying, I'm incarcerating you permanently, that's above your pay grade. That's all pastor trying to get you to see. Um, now, number five, are you being blessed by this? Number five says these angels, these four angels, these four fallen angels that were bound but are loosed are given a specific time frame. It says a year, a month, a week, a day, and an hour to bring judgment on the earth. Number six, um, these angels' judgment is exercised in the form of an army. This army of horsemen is believed to represent military power. They have authority to kill a third of humanity. Now, um, last week when I talked, I talked about the fact, or two weeks ago in our last session, let's just say last session. Um, no, that wasn't in last session. Um, 
If you haven't had a chance to listen to my teaching at uh, Center of Attraction Outreach, that's fire. Like, listen. <laughs> Woo! Pastor went there. Yep, I went there. And so you should go there and see it. And one of the things that the Lord really dealt with me on was that each of the sons of Noah each have had a chance to lead the world. Ham, the son that became the black, uh, black races of people, the darker races of people, Ham led the world first, and then Shem and now Japheth. And um, each time that there was a transition between one or the other, there was always angels involved in the warfare. Angels was involved in getting the children of Israel out of Egypt. Angels were involved um, when, um, when there was a transition not only from Ham to, to Shem, but from Shem to Japheth. Daniel was clear that he said that the prince of Persia, talking about an angel, was fighting in the heavens, and then the prince of Greece was going to come. So angels were involved in that. This scripture says that even though there's military conflict on earth, there, was, there will be spiritual forces fighting it for it in the heavens. This case, this scripture says that there will be evil forces that is driving this army. All right? Now let's look at number seven. Interestingly, John identifies the heart condition of those unaffected by the plagues who, like Pharaoh in Egypt when Moses brought the plagues, have hardened, unrepentant hearts. So just because bad stuff is happening doesn't mean people finally get the lesson. All right? The things that they haven't repented for, number eight, the things which they haven't repented for, which we should repent and resist ourselves as believers, include all forms of, and there's one of these that's not on this list that was in this, and I'll add it the next time you see this list, all forms of idolatry, whether that's serving um, evil spirits or other stuff. Some of them, the scripture says, worship demons. And we got to be careful. Um, now pastor is going to talk to himself, so you can put me on the screen. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me now. We have to be careful in our love of uh, Marvel Universe or whatever kind of superhero movies that we like. Notice that Thor is one of the superheroes, but he's a god. People worship Thor. The day after Wednesday is Thor's day. That's where Thursday came from. All right, I'm preaching really good. All right, and so we got to be careful in our rush for entertainment that we don't get sucked into in a form of idolatry that God's not happy with. Or 
He said that some of them worship demons, others worship stuff. You can take, you can make stuff an idol. You can make you can make your kids an idol. You can make your job an idol. You can make your car. You can make your money an idol. You know, it doesn't mean that you have a Buddha sitting in your bathroom. Now, some people do. And if you got one, get it out now. But sometimes we worship other things, and they didn't repent of that. Clearly, if angels are flying in heaven and everybody gets to see them now, and, and, you, and God pulled back heaven to allow people to see the throne of heaven, maybe, just maybe, you would think that some of these people would get the message. Now, clearly, some people did, um, but, but not enough, and certainly not everybody. All right, let's go back. Let's go back to number eight. Says these things that they, that they haven't repented for, we should resist, including all forms of idolatry, all forms of murder, witchcraft, including drug-induced activity. The word there for witchcraft is the word pharmakia. That's the Greek word that's translated witchcraft or sorcery. All right. So I know you think cannabis is cool. as a mind-altering substance. But the Bible calls that witchcraft. All right, you, you, you. <laughs> I was talking with a good pastor friend of mine, um, second, secondhand information, I'm gonna just give the disclaimer, but the person who said it was a person of credit and the person he quoted was a person of credit who said that they knew of a pastor whose church was being sustained by a marijuana grow house. Okay, you can do what you want to. Um, that's not of God. Okay, um, I just called somebody out in Jesus' name. All right, you want to argue with me on the theology of it, then let's have the conversation. All right. Also, that what we should be resisting is sexually illicit activity. That's the word porneo, where we get the word pornography, and systematic thievery, um, kleptos, where we get a kleptomaniac. That's a person who steals by, steals by design, who steals by habit, all right? So it says that theft's going to increase, murder's going to increase, sexual activity is going to increase, all forms of idolatry are going to increase, in all forms of thieving and robbery. Isn't it interesting? Every time you watch an apocalyptic show, whatever the show is, everybody's got guns because they're all fighting to protect what they got and the resources are dying and people are pillaging and they're getting in groups, whether it's the first or the third purge or whether it's, you know, um, just name one, anyone. They all produce, they always show a world where bad things are happening, some kind of evil creatures are happening, and people are scratching and hurting each other to survive. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, so um, the thing that makes sure that I'm not a person who gets affected by that time is for me not to be there. The way that I not be there is to not be involved in activities that God has judged. So what I do ahead of time is I judge myself so that when those judgments have, are going out, I'm nowhere around because my judgment has already been taken care of in Jesus' name. 
Let's look at um, two scriptures on this, and then we're done for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 through 32. This uh, passage of scripture is the passage of scripture that's talking about the communion process, the process where we um, together eat at, and drink at the Lord's table. We drink the bread. We drink the wine, which represents his blood. We eat the bread, which represents his body. We do it together. And part of the process is not tasting how good the cracker is and whether or not you got enough juice. The process, what you should be judging is not how good it tastes, but how good you've been living. All right, let's look at it. First Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. For if we judge ourselves, meaning judging ourselves at the communion table, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Listen, everything he's coming to deal with them on, I already dealt with when I set myself before the Lord, open up my life and start to really have the hard conversation. Now, I'm reading this thing about sorcery and I'm saying to myself or, or idolatry and I'm saying to myself and then the Lord, the Holy Spirit is reminding me, David, OK, now some of that you just call entertainment. You know what? You know, it's cool. Like. Anybody that knows me knows I like Big Panther, but he's using technology. On the other side of that is Dr. Strange, who's using sorcery, isn't he? Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to be careful. It was interesting that uh, when I had done a study, when it says, he that overcomes, God will give you a white stone. The word there in the studies about that stone is a tesseract. If you've been watching any of the Marvel Universe, they all have these stones in them. There's these seven infinity stones. One was called a tesseract. I'm reading. The, I'm saying, oh, my God. I'm, I'm like, Jesus, Lord. Because now, now. It don't mean all of that. OK. Why are they using biblical terms to describe supernatural things, but not for entertainment, not for for eternal worship? Why are they using these terms? I'm just saying. Now, listen, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me because pastor loves movies. I'm just saying I, I got. But listen, what the scripture says, if I don't judge myself then I run the risk of being judged with the world. So I have to look at me and start to make assessments. Now, Pastor, I'm not an old school preacher that says, man, every TV is the one-eyed devil. Stop. I'm not saying that. But you got to watch it. Because if we're not careful, we'll just, we'll just let any old thing go. And then you may like it, but Jesus may not. And if you don't judge yourself... If you don't let the Lord chasten you on issues that he doesn't like and get them out. See, now, if you go through this process and then the Lord deals with you on it, then it's not my issue. It's not the church imposing a standard of holiness on you. I didn't have a conversation with my bishop and he said, don't go see Marvel Universe movies. And I didn't have that. 
It was just me studying what the word means and then looking at my life and saying, is there any of that going on with Pastor David? That's all I'm saying. All right. I just want you to have the tools with which you can make your own self-examination. Right. What did the what did the medical community tell you to do? I mean, it says it to ladies, you know, there's parts of your body says it to men. You need to touch and examine yourself. Instead of saying, everybody trying to judge me. No, you're supposed to be trying to judge yourself. And if you judge yourself, have communion and repent, as far as God is concerned, it's already dealt with by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. All right, let's look at Romans chapter 1, 17 through 32. A lot of of verses there. Not a super lot, but um, I want to get all the way through this and close this out today. This is an important passage of scripture. I'm going to walk you through it and give you commentary as we go, okay? And it says, for in the righteousness of God is revealed, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, so let's stop here for a second. If I believe that the righteousness of God is revealed, then I must also believe that the wrath of God is revealed. I don't have the right to believe that for one and not the other, because the same word declares them both. One of them said the righteousness of God is revealed. The other verse right after that says the wrath of God is revealed. Now the righteousness is revealed by faith. The wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness. All right. Further, I don't have the right as a preacher to suppress truth because it conflicts with my deviant lifestyle. I don't bring my preaching down to my living. I bring my living up to what the word says that I should be preaching. Okay. And I don't allow myself. I don't bring my, I don't suppress truth so that I can be politically correct or socially tolerant. Look at verse 19 and 20. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, this scripture implies that every atheist has an ability to know God and sense him because he, God, gave it to them. That's what we seek to awake when we are doing evangelism. One of our apologetic arguments of the gospel is that that because the earth was designed, not evolved, there is a divine designer. And the word apologetics doesn't refer to me saying, I'm sorry, I'm apologizing to you. The word apologetics refers to how we defend our faith. You say that Jesus is the only way. I say, you know, is there any real Jesus? Or I believe all ways to God are equally true. Can you defend your faith 
that the segment of Bible teaching that deals with defending our faith against error is called apologetics. All right. So one of our apologetic arguments for the gospel is that because the earth was designed that because the universe was designed that there must be a divine designer. It did not evolve. Right. What is what is the Big Bang? The Big Bang says first there was nothing. Then it exploded. There is too much for this for there is too much intricate interaction for all of this to be random. God says that that argument is so strong that those that don't believe it are without excuse. You see, you can't judge someone on something unless you give them an opportunity to see, hear and obey. Now, let's look at verses 21 through 23. Because although they knew God, they knew him, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or empty in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Um, let's, one statement here. What they didn't do, we then should do. That is, we should know God, give him glory, which means give him the weight or credit for the good things in our lives, and to give him thanks. Verse 22 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23 says, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men, man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So trying to be smart, they became fools. They were educated beyond their intellect. And because man is created to be a worshiping being, he will worship something if he doesn't worship the true and living God, even if that something is worshiping himself as a God, and that is the origin of the Antichrist spirit in humanity. Man wants to be his own God. What did, what did the serpent say to Eve? If you eat this, you will be like God. All right. Now let's read verses 24 and 25. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. If you are your own God, then your feelings and desires become your own standards. And if that's what you choose, God will let you. If you're your own God, then your feelings are the standard. I just feel like it should be this way. And that 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 might be a standard if you your own God. All right. Now, notice what they did. We shouldn't do. We should never give away Bible truth for a lie or worship or serve something God created rather than the God who created all the some things. Amen. Now, let's look at verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to vile, base, garbage passions. That's what vile means. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is not prideful, but what is shameful. And receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. 
Now, listen, 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 listen. Let me just say some things here. I'm not angry against anyone, but I have to hold the truth. I have to hold as truth what the, the Bible, what the Bible declares is truth. I also must be willing to speak the truth in love when people who don't love truth call what I say hate speech. I got to speak truth in love, patient, kind, not easily provoked, rejoicing, not in iniquity, rejoicing in the truth, bearing up under all the things, believing and hoping for the best, hoping for the change. Even if what you say that I'm saying, you call it hate speech. Now, it is not my job to call down judgment on people. That's not my gig. This scripture says that the judgment is embedded in the sin. The wages of sin is death. You don't get the, you don't sin and then death is someplace else. Death comes with the sin. All right. Hallelujah. I just want to make that clear. Um, look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, another thing we should do, God gave them over to a debased, a, mind, a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, right? Um, what they didn't do, we should do. If they didn't retain knowledge so that their mind could stay elevated, we should retain knowledge and our minds will stay up and high. Now look at verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now look at this. This is this is a dirty dozen list from heaven's perspective. I don't know if it's 12 things, but just look at it. Uh, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness. That's that's wanting what other people have to the point that you have haterade for those people. Maliciousness, full of envy, right? Just hate that people got stuff. I wish I had that and I hate them for having it. Murder, strife, and we got a lot of strife in the world, don't we? Deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, that's gossiping about people, backbiters, always player-hating other folks, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now, I did all of the verses from verse 17 to 31 to get us to the point of verse 32. Now, verse 32 says, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Not only do it, but approve of those who practice them. Now, let's couple statements. In God's righteous judgment, some things are worthy of death. Man, you serve a mean God because in the Old Testament, you know, the person who did this thing could be stoned or killed. Man, your, your God is mean. Hold up, hold up against his righteous standards, because he is God and we are not, he gets the right to say what is acceptable or unacceptable behavior. He has deemed that certain actions 
certain attitudes, certain behaviors are right or wrong. Those are not our standards to decide. Those are his standards to decide. Now, um, I'm not, Pastor David is not into capital punishment. I'm not into wishing ill on people that practice stuff that goes against God. That's not my job. But my job, while it's not capital punishment, it is capital judgment. I'm responsible to know and to tell people what things, what actions heaven considers worthy of death. The gospel or the good news is that while those things are worthy of death, Jesus died the death so you don't have to. Things are worthy of death, but Jesus died the death so that you don't have to. He that knew no sin became sin with my sin so that I could become righteous with his righteousness. And the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. But I got to get off of the wrath side and get over to the righteousness side. If I'm still over on the wrath side, then the wrath that's over there, I have, I have uh, the potential to, to, get, to get sucked up into the judgment that goes with that side. Does that make sense? Now, this is, this is the thing that the Lord really challenged me on as I was studying this. We have to be careful that we neither practice these things or, as it says, approve of things that God doesn't practice or approve of. The King James Version says not only the, does God consider it worthy of judgment those who practice them, but those who have pleasure in them. Okay, see, for me, that sounds like entertainment. So then I've got to make sure that I'm not entertaining myself with things that God doesn't approve of. I'm not talking to you now. Pastor David is talking to himself. But what did we say? If we judge ourselves when the judgment of the world comes, we won't be judged with it. Amen.